This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, Georgie, check for Dadsy. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. <laughs> only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery free in terms supply. See mcdonalds.com. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. Leicester City have a penalty kick in the sixth minute of injury time. Injury time, injury time. Look out, takes, Almunia saves, knock out, Bollinger, Almunia saves again. And now what? You're listening to the Do Not Scratch Your Eyes podcast. Joining us this time round, Tommy Mooney. Hello, Tommy. How are you? How are we, fellas? All right. I'm all good. Thank you. Very good, mate. Very good. Very good indeed. Very good indeed. We've got loads of punters' questions to get to. Uh, But as normal, if it's all right with you, Tommy, we'd like to start literally just before the career and try and understand the first question we always always go with is you grew up in Middlesbrough or Middlesbrough away um how did you fall in love with football in the first place how did you start to get into the game uh I, I am from just outside of Middlesbrough a little place called Billingham I was I, I, I was kicking a ball about as long as I can remember my dad was was a footballer he was he was into it the whole family were into it and you know it's like that it's often talked about where that that area of the country is a football hotbed. It was everybody that I knew was in a team, so it, it wasn't long before you know I was either mascot at my my dad's teams that he managed, or whether I was playing games. You know, I remember trying to play in an adults game when I was about eight or nine years old. You know, it was, it was one of those where if the if a ball was rolling on a on a piece of grass, I wanted to kick it. So was this Billingham Symphonia? Is that the one? Symphonia is where I played as a junior at about 15, 16 year old, something like that. And my dad had played for Billingham Symphonia sort of 20 years before until he had a bad injury and, and went into the coaching and managing side. 
Um, so, yes, yeah, Synthonia was my team. There's two teams. It's only a small place, but there's two right. teams in Billingham. Billingham Town and Billingham Synthonia. And it's very much like Luton Watford. It's one okay. of those. Oh. You, can't play, oh. you can't play for both. Oh, dear. I mean, that must have been ridiculous. I mean, your dad's name is not Tommy, isn't it? They, they couldn't have actually sung There's Only Two Tommy Mooney, surely. He, he, like I said to you, he's the real Tommy Mooney. I'm the imposter. <laughs> <laughs> so there isn't oh, just one Tommy Mooney. OK, well, that's an exclusive. No, 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 absolutely. And uh, to this day, I still reiterate, I, I'm the imposter. I've always been the imposter and, and the real Tommy's doing OK. Well, we've already <laughs> completely smashed one of our precious memories, <laughs> never mind. Yeah. So that, yeah. out goes that song that we've been singing all the, for all those years, yeah. When, when, when Carl and I try and start, there's only two. We'll just get very strange looks. So yeah. uh, as a supporter, um, or you know, kind of as a young player, you kind of followed Liverpool, was that correct? Um, I did, yeah. Uh, which is also strange coming from the North East, but my dad was a Liverpool supporter. I suppose he, he grew up with them in the 60s, 70s and, and, and 80s as I grew up with them. Yeah. They, were the, they were the top team, weren't they? So, yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we'd go to, to Anfield as soon as I got old enough to travel on the coach. We were in the North East Supporters Club and we'd probably go to Anfield maybe twice a season. And then obviously they were at Wembley at least once every season. So we'd go to yeah. Wembley. So I used to probably watch them maybe three times a season, depending on, you know, the, the geography of it, the travelling, and also the finances. It wasn't it wasn't easy for, for us to go and watch football. That's not like we're building up to a goal at Anfield or anything already, is it? Blimey. So, <laughs> so when you were a kid, who was the player in your mind's eye that you either followed, loved, or pretended to be? I would always get, if my dad ever went on a Liverpool trip and I couldn't go on it, I'd always get a number seven shirt, which was Kenny Daglish, during my time. And obviously, you know... <laughs> I didn't have any of his traits, sadly, but he was uh, he was my hero, Kenny Daglish. I just loved watching him play, and whether no matter who it was for, and and also you know when he played for Scotland, he was the best player in that team as well. So it was I, I watched more Scotland internationals than I did England because of Kenny Daglish. No, what a, what a player, what a player. So you're playing for Billingham Symphonia, excuse the pronunciation. Do you get spotted by, you went to Villa, first of all, were there a number of clubs looking? How, do, how does it go from you moving from there to, to Villa? What does that look like? It was unorthodox, the way that I, that, the way that I got into it, because I was, I was a schoolboy at Middlesbrough from 14. You couldn't sign for clubs before 14 during, during the 80s, as it was. Yeah. Um, so I was a schoolboy at Middlesbrough for two years, and then they released me when I left school. They never offered me a YTS. So, you know, as much as I didn't think the football dream was over, I also had to be sensible. And the only thing that school, and this will surprise you, fellas, the only thing at school that I was good at other than PE was maths. So if football hadn't been along, I'd have been an accountant. Wow. Get your head around that. Well, wow. yeah. Having said that, I'd, I'd, I'd just got myself a girlfriend and needed a few quid. So I realised that the accountancy exams would have taken me four years. So I went into the bookkeeping side of it to just try and knock a year off. And it was three years before I was qualified. Obviously, you know, I started playing for, for Billingham Synthonia's under 18s. And then I got into their first team as a 16, 17 year old, which is, and still to this day, the most scariest experience ever when <laughs> I was like, Five foot, five foot four, six stone, soaking wet at sixteen, seventeen, playing against hairy-assed northern men. 
probably stood me in good stead throughout my career because I, I never got as scared as I did when I was a young kid playing against them. Playing is against this sort of is this sort of no, Northern Counties Unibond kind of non-league level or at the time it was the, the Northern Drivers League it was called, but it became the Northern League. So there was teams like Blythe Spartans that are perhaps uh-huh. a little bit more famous because of FA Cup runs. So yep. I played at Blythe. You know, the, the blokes at Blythe had more hair on their backs than I on my had on my head. <laughs> that is that is a tough place to go when you're 16 and scoring goals because every one of them wants to kick you over the stand. So, you know, I, I evaded that, carried on scoring goals in, in the first team and in the 18s. I used to play both whenever I could. So I was 18 months into my bookkeeping exams. I'd been offered a, a job from a placement while I continued my studies. And then Aston Villa offered me a trial in sort of October, I'd just turned 17. So two months after my 17th birthday, I'd been working for 18 months and Villa offered me a trial. I could have gone to Ipswich in Southampton all the same week, strangely. They all offered me a trial the very same week and I took the Villa one because the Villa scout was was really good to, to my parents and said, listen, we'll, they'll look after him, we'll do this, we'll do that. And I went for a two-week trial and they offered me the opportunity to finish my YTS, which is now the apprenticeship, to mm-hmm. do it for two years. But because I've done my first year as a bookkeeper, um, I did my second year of YTS as a footballer. Mm-hmm. So I went in and, and, and signed a year's YTS contract, played in the youth team for a year. Um, and then, obviously, Graham Taylor was the manager at Aston Villa then. He, he offered me my first pro contract from the October the following year to the end of the season. I mean, Bear in mind, Aston Villa at that time, the, the year that I left, they finished second in the old mm. first division. So, yeah. you know, runners up in the Premier League in, in, in modern day terms. So it was a decent team that they had. It was. So from obviously from Middlesbrough to Birmingham to Schlepp, so I'm presuming that meant you had to relocate. What 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 was yeah. what was that like for the everybody, first time? Everybody went into digs at that time. They, I mean, they call them horse families now, but very, very similar idea that you, you know, I went into with a family in 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 Great Bar, which is one of the quieter areas yeah. in Birmingham near Walsall. And I went in with two other Northeast lads, one of which was from well, it was a Geordie, almost a Geordie, Chesterley Street, and one that ironically I'd played junior football against. Um, he was from from Middlesbrough, so all three of us shared a bedroom in this house in in Great Bar, and then we used to have to get two buses to get to Villa Park for nine o'clock, and the minibus took us to the training ground because obviously the training ground Villa's training ground still is it's in the middle of nowhere it's next to the Belfry you can't get a bus there or a train or anything like that so if you missed the minibus at 9am leaving Villa Park it was 45 quid in a taxi wow now bear in mind in those days five pound a week yeah you you, you (laughs) didn't miss that minibus I'm telling you yeah (laughs) but even so that's that's better than sitting down and working out VAT returns and stuff isn't it and that kind of stuff well, it panned out that way. I wasn't no, I wasn't sure whether it would work at the time, but yeah, when you look back on it, you know, it was, it was one of those. But it, it gave me a stability. It gave me what a, a desire to succeed. Hmm. You know, yeah. in adding up numbers and, and doing tax returns, or whether it be scoring <laughs> goals and playing football. It's yeah. I think it's you know, I, I had an absolutely amazing childhood that that gave me a, a work a work ethic. So whichever, whatever I do still to the day, you know, whatever I do, I want to do it to the best of my ability. And, and that work ethic always came out on the pitch. And I think it was one of the reasons why not just Watford fans, 
but I also listened to one of the Scarborough podcasts and they went, oh my God, yeah, you're still absolute legend status there. How did the move, obviously we're at, we're at Villa, Graham Taylor, what, one, what were the kind of any interactions there in the first instance? Because obviously you're going to get the echo of that later on. But after, you know, with Villa, how did you then decide to, 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 to go to Scarborough and obviously make that work? Well, it came to the end of the season that I'd been a pro. And like I say, Villa had had a very, very successful yeah. And I'd been, I, I was in the first team squad on Boxing Day the year before I left. Now, bearing in mind, we, we've already mentioned about the, the, the digs. You couldn't stay in your digs over Christmas. And I was only, I was, I think I, I was 18 by that time. So, and as, as daft as this sounds, and bear in mind the motorways <laughs> are not the same, I went into training on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, but travelled from my parents' house. My dad drove me all of the way Blimey. to the training ground. <laughs> and then afterwards at home, and then Christmas Day, drove me to the training ground, went home. And then Boxing Day, drove me to Villa Park, and I wasn't even on the bench. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. So three days on the trot, oh, I no. drove from, from Middlesbrough to Villa Park. Yeah. Just I got in the first team squad and there was no minibus because all of the apprentices went home for Christmas. But because I think actually think Dwight York was, had got injured and I'd got into, I actually think there was only three subs at that time, maybe two or three subs. And I'd got into a squad of 15 or 16 so, but there was always two that missed out. And we, we used to just help carry the skips, basically, with all the kit and boots. So it was like an, you know, an extra man, a 12th man in cricket, so to speak. But all of that travelling, and I never made the bench against Man United on Boxing Day. My dad was fuming, absolutely fuming. <laughs> I don't blame him. <laughs> Not only that, you probably had to sit in the car with him all the way back up again after. Yeah. All of the way back up, and he was, he was he was telling me how much better I was than David Platt and Alan McAdally. <laughs> <laughs> as he should, yeah, as he should, like that. Oh, lovely. He that. didn't mention the fact he'd just done 100 quid in fuel either, so fair play to him. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it'd probably be 200 quid now, but back yeah, then, yeah, yeah. It was 30 quid, it was, it was cheaper to do it that way than stay in a hotel over Christmas, put it yeah. that way. That was, yeah. that was how we, how we made decisions in, in those days, but. To, to answer your question, I suppose, yeah. yeah, I played a lot of reserve games, scored a lot of res- goals in the reserves. I was, I was because I'm an August birthday, I could still play in the youth team. So it was, it was me and Dwight York up front in the youth team, and another lad called Martin Carruthers who went on to have a good, mm. good career. We scored like a bundle of goals. Yorkie made the first team. I was on the edge of it. We got to the end of the season, and you know, I, I've told this story before, but it's. The gaffers called us all into the office. So I think there was five first-year pros and we were all sat outside the gaffer's office and it was you took it in turns to go in to find out if you got a new yeah. contract. So it was my turn to go in. These gaffers sat me down. And bear in mind, I was, I was a scared little lad at that point. Like I say, I wasn't... I, I, was, no, I was a long way from being a man at that yeah. point, even though I was 18 years old. And uh, I sat down trembling in front of him, wondering what was going to happen. And he said to me, you've done brilliant. Um, you've scored a lot of goals in the reserves, scored a, a whole hat full of goals in the youth team. He said, but we've got to develop the strikers. I don't think you're going to play here. I think you'll make a living out of the game, but probably not at this level. He said, but because you've done so well and because of your attitude throughout the season, I'm not going to offer you a contract, but you can go to Magaluf tomorrow with the first team. 
And bear in mind, at that time, Magaluf was the place to go. So I've come out of the office with the biggest grin on my face. The other four lads sat outside, thought I'd got a five-year contract. I was like, no, lads, I've been released, but I'm going to Magaluf tomorrow with the, with the first thing. You won't believe it. Which I did, and I went on. I mean, I learned very little about football in Magaluf, Magaluf with the first-team squad, but I learned a lot about life. And, and from there, when I came back, I was offered trials. But the youth team, the youth team and reserve team coach at the time was Bobby Downs, who's another ex. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Um, the the yeah. man who put the cross in for Luther's goal in '78 against Man United. Well, he was a great, but, great yeah. left winger. And, and Bob's, I mean, still I call him a close friend. His son's one of my best friends. Um, but Bob it was very friendly with Ray McHale, who was the Scarborough manager. Uh-huh. So I had six or seven options, including going abroad. Ironically, it was just purely because of the the publicity that Aston Villa have got. An Aston Villa striker leaving the club on a free transfer, yeah. you know, I got offers to go. But at the end of the day, I was a bit, I still am, I'm a mummy's boy. I was, I was missing being home. I had a girlfriend at home. I missed my parents. You, you know, I'm very, very close to my family. And Scarborough was the closest club. So they were in the fourth division at the time, or yeah. League Two equivalent. And I went there... On a t- I had agreed a two-week trial because it was only an hour away from my parents. They put put us up in a guest house, loosely <laughs> in a guest house. There's a number <laughs> of those available, surely. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think TripAdvisor would have had these anywhere near the top of a list. <laughs> but it was a, nevertheless, it was a bed. And then, you know, Ray McHale offered me a contract within a couple of days and I signed for Scarborough for, for a couple of years and obviously cut my teeth in league football, scored, scored my first league goals, learnt an awful lot, grew a lot, physically and mentally, ended up leaving Scarborough after three seasons, although yeah. I probably should have left after two. If the chairman hadn't been so greedy, my my idol was in charge at Blackburn, Kenny Daglish, and they'd showed an interest. <laughs> Turned down 750 grand from Blackburn because they wanted a million quid. And he, I ended up going to South End because I was out of contract and he got hundred grand for me at a tribunal. So it was one of those. It was difficult for me, but then I just wanted to play and I wanted to score goals. Yeah. And after the chairman had done that to me, it wanted I just wanted to prove a point to him even more. So when so, so you mentioned South End there, who were at the time it was Barry Fry, who yeah. the manager, who's who's a character to say the least. Had they just let go of Collymore to Forest at that point? Standard Stannard just signed for Forest. And Barry, um, Barry called me up. Bear in mind, there's no mobile phones then. It's, it's mm. landlines. And yeah. you know, he called my agent. My agent called me um, and said, you know, Barry Fry wants to speak to you. He did the deal. And it was like, I was going to the championship from League Two. Yeah. So I was on peanuts at Scarborough, even though I was scoring goals because I'd signed a longer term contract. They had me by the nuts. So... South End came in. There was a couple of others, but obviously because I was out of contract, it had to go to tribunal. And Scarborough made a big thing of of um, because they turned down seven hundred and fifty grand. They were still hoping they were going to get a million quid. It's never going to happen. I was eighteen on about one hundred and twenty pounds a week, albeit I'd scored a lot of goals. So I ended up going to tribunal. And, and Barry Fry, to this day, you know we still get on great. We were third in the championship. Yeah. At South End, Stan went to Forest. He signed me and Jason Lee, big Jace. Oh yeah, Jace, yeah, yes. To replace Stan. Now between the two of us, we still couldn't do what Stan did at that time. 
but we had there was an old old striker there called Brett Angel that had scored a yeah. lot of goals. Baz signed a, a lot of players from lower leagues that were mm. very hungry, and we were really successful. I think I scored five goals in my first ten games in my first championship season as a what would I have been now? a twenty-two year old kid. And then obviously Barry got the Birmingham job, and Southend went on the slide. Birmingham had, had signed us. An agreement that they could only sign two of his players. He tried to sign me; it never worked. He signed, I think, Ricky Otto, who was a yeah. explosive left winger. Yeah, um, he was a tremendous player. Yeah, so it, it ended up where Peter Taylor came in at Southend, and me and him just didn't get on. He's not my sort, my cup of tea. Not, not, not. My oh, own. there you go, people. If there's anything else that will uh, that will kind of really kind of ingratiate Tommy Mooney to Watford fans, it's not getting on with Peter Taylor. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> not yeah. the mayor of Watford, by the way. The other one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Peter, if you're listening. Not you. Yeah. <laughs> not, not for me. I sadly, I mean, he he was holding me to ransom. I wasn't playing. You know, he was asking silly money to, to sell me he stopped me actually from going back to Middlesbrough my hometown club on loan and I had to I had to really force it and you know to be honest about it I had a stand-up argument and went for him in the in, the, in his office one day <laughs> and literally that same day I got home and there was a, a, a voicemail from from Glenn Roder um, and said listen we want to bring you in I've spoken to the club they're not you're gonna have to push it from your side and I, I rang Glenn back and said, don't worry about that. I'll I've done that. <laughs> yeah, I've just done that. He's just, he's just getting up as we speak. Yeah. yeah. He's, if he's got up out of the corner where he's cowering like a little boy, <laughs> then I'm sure if you ring him back, he'll tell you that he'll let me go. So within a couple of weeks, that was that was done and started my, my, my Watford history after Glenn had been really patient and really, really good to me. So... You know, probably why I hold him in such high regard as I, as I did, and you know, sadly another one that we've lost. But absolutely, absolutely. great, great yeah. bloke. Very sad. Without, without him, I wouldn't be sat talking to you guys. Well, so, I mean, mm. it, it, going back to because obviously there, there, there's years of glory to come here, but that initial was a loan period initially, yeah. and there was and you came in and there was from memory here Keith Millen, Colin Foster who basically just sorted out the back. We suddenly went to a back three. You wouldn't have known this, but we, we were fumbling around as a back four, first of all. Dennis Bailey came in, you came in, and did did Derek Payne come with you? No, Payne came... Or was he later? Payne, Payne was still um, fighting with Peter Taylor at Southend. <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody um, had to do it. <laughs> yeah, he took over. I, I, made sure, I made sure... It was a tag was team good. as you left the office. Yeah, there you go, you'll go. <laughs> Somebody still had to take over the mantle and make sure he made his life hell for a couple of months. That seems uh, reasonable. But we're we're down we're down in the lower reaches. We are in proper, proper relegation territory. Absolutely. Yeah. We were and you, I think we you, were at fourth, fourth, fifth bottom in the championship, something like that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But there's a couple there's a couple of games I want to kind of just ask for your memories of from, from in and around there. Um, you know where I'm gonna go with this in a minute. Um Peter Taylor may be involved, who knows? Um First of all, the, the one before that, you, you came in and the and the fans just took to you because you, you you talked about your work ethic earlier on. As a player, body language or how you kind of project outwards is a huge amount to do with the relationship with the fans, which is why, you know, we are absolutely delighted to have you here. Um, but that came across in literally 
the first game, uh, which if I remember, I, I, I think, was it Millwall when we beat them 2-0? Something along those lines. It went okay. We lost the game. And then we had to go to Peterborough, who were down there with us. And it was a real battle of the dead men. And it ended up Peterborough 3, Watford 4, and me sitting like a nervous wreck on the terraces afterwards. It was an unbelievable game of complete chaos. How did that feel to be part of that particular one? You know, it was it, it was my first experience at Watford of just a great dressing room. We had, you looked at around the dressing room and there was no household names in there, don't get me wrong. Yeah. There, were, there was just a bunch of good lads and, and some really good young lads. You know, I think Pagey and John O were on the edge of that team. Yeah. Kenny Jackett was the youth team coach and Tom Wally. So they had a great work ethic and they'd come in and train with us. Like you say, I mean, Colin Foster hated football, but he was brilliant. He was brilliant for us. In fairness, Colin Foster did look like a chartered accountant because I showed my, my 17-year-old a picture of him and he went, no, he's an accountant. Now, if I'm going to show him a picture of you, he's never going to get. He's never going to get. <laughs> no, you not. should have been a bookkeeper. <laughs> I mean, if I've got my glasses on, I might get away with it. <laughs> but but ne never any other time. But even then, it was, it, we had a little travelling crew. There was because Fozzie and Millie were travelling yeah. from Kent. Hesse was travelling from Kent, so they'd pick me up at Brentwood, and we'd drive in, come in, train as hard as we could for a couple of hours, and drive home. And Fozzie wouldn't break sweat in the whole. You could have turned turned the aircon off in the car doing two two hours on the M25, and Fozzie wouldn't sweat. <laughs> <laughs> he just he, he, he just didn't want to be a footballer but come a match day he was brilliant yeah. for us brilliant and and not just because he was like seven foot eight and he could head the ball he was just great he calmed the lads down mm. never ever raised his voice Millie coming in did another cracking job for us and went on to 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 stay for a long time it was my room yeah. years and years but we just had a really good dressing room but the key to it for me I know I had a really good time. And like you say, it was the first time I'd experienced, I had to build up that relationship at Scarborough because I was just a spotty kid when I, I arrived there. Wasn't really in the team. I went in straight into that team. I think my debut was away at Sunderland. Yeah, it was, that um, was the second game after you were in. Yeah. yeah. So it was one of those really strange, the supporters took to me. I fed off that because bear in mind, for probably six months, I'd trained with the kids at Southend. I hadn't, I'd been on the bench for the first team, but never put on or done anything like that when Peter Taylor was in charge. So since Barry left, to me signing for Watford, it's probably six months. I was desperate to play. Wow. Desperate to play football and just be wanted, essentially. Huh? We're all human at the end of the day. You want to be in a place where people want you there. And Glenn and the, and the rest of the staff and the rest of the players made me feel like that. I just work, I worked my nuts off for a couple of months to try and keep us in the division. Yeah. Dennis Bailey scored the goals. He did. The Peterborough game you're talking about, I think I actually think Jared Lavin scored a worldy goal. He did. He that, did. I mean, like, when did Lav ever do that again? You know, it's one of one of those. We just had it was a really good group of blokes that rolled the sleeve up and said, We need to get out of this. Ben was a really good leader in that position. The, the cars going back down the A1, I mean, if you lived anywhere near it, you didn't get much sleep that night, I tell you that much. I've got to go to the next game. Watford 3, South End 0, and you're one of the last 
players that I can think of who scored against his parent club. And you seem to enjoy it quite a lot. Would Just I be wrong? Don't. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure if you, if you picked up on it earlier, but I haven't got the time of day for Peter Taylor. There was a clue. There was a small clue. In, I'll have, I'll have to go said. back and look in the transcript. I clearly missed it. I, um, I've got to be honest. I, I still, to this day, and it, it wasn't one of my better goals, but I was the last person to touch it before it crossed the line. And that's all that mattered to me. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So I, I got very, very close to running up to him in the dugout. And I was on my way. And some, I think it might have been Rama that, that stopped me and jumped on my back. And if Greg Ramage jumps on your back, your legs go. You go. <laughs> yeah. So he, the lads have stopped me from, from getting. I was on my way. And he just got a finger point, which was a lot further away than the one he got in his office as well. <laughs> Of course, Craig Ramage came in that season. I thought he'd come in the following season. You're absolutely right. So w- we managed to get clear. We've got, well, first of all, what was it like to play with with, with Paul Furlong, who oh. was there and was fabulous at the time? Oh, for I love Furlong, yeah. Great. Furs's, Furs's was brilliant at that time and he got a fabulous move. Yeah. Um, and But fully deserved. It was great yeah. to play with Furs. Tommy, you made me cry at school. All the Chelsea fans at school when he left. Oh, <laughs> broke my heart. <laughs> He built the rookery. Oh, I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. But he's a great lad. One of the quietest, hardest men that I've ever played with. You know, you don't mess with hers, but he'll never, ever threaten you. He's one of those. And they're the worst. They're the worst, by the way. But he could, <laughs> he could run. He, could, he was strong. He could play. And he could open a tin with his left foot. You know, he's one of those just really underrated. I remember playing... My, actually, my last game of my loan spell for Watford, we played at Sellers Park. That's where we're going. Against, <laughs> against Palace. And it, it was just, it was live on TV. Obviously, there was balloons everywhere because I think they'd just won the league. Yes, they were They were going to have their, they had their trophy lift afterwards. And we, yeah, they, I don't know whether, I can't remember whether they won it or whether they were definitely promoted anyway. Um, and we went and spoiled the party and, and me and Furs just, anything that moved, we roughed them up that day and, you know, I always felt I always felt a lot stronger when Furs was next to me, even though we probably only played maybe eight or ten games together. And but when I went to Birmingham, Furs was there as well. You know, we'd we, of course we'd stayed, we'd stayed good mates. And but yeah, listen, it would have been very very different. I'd have loved to Furs to have stayed at Watford, but like you guys say, wouldn't everybody? You know, oh. He, oh. he was a top, he was a top player. Got a great move in it. Was perhaps a little bit too much for him, but mm-hmm. still had a great, great career in squad goals. So two, two questions from, from memory. You got, you got one at Palace, didn't you? If I remember. did, yeah. You get, hit, yeah. hit it into the ground and it, it came out, it went over. And that's normally what, how I did things. Well, no, I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> it was a dead-eyed, dead-eyed finish. Okay. Um, <laughs> but also, what was going on with the goatee beards? I've waited about 30 years to find this out. Everybody was wearing, a, was, was, you know, kind of sporting a goatee beard. Who? Where did this start? I, I don't. I don't know. To be, to be honest, I th- I'm not sure whether mine. I mean, my fringe was starting to go. I'm not sure. If it's <laughs> Can't tell. No. It's like a relocation yeah, program. That's fine. <laughs> I've styled it out now. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It was one of those where there was actually like a pair of clippers in the dressing room. We'd and we'd all like take it in turns to get in front of the mirror. And it was. It, it was like we were musketeers, but. I don't know. I try and I try and erase those memories. 
I've had some. I've had some weird facial hair, definitely. <laughs> so let's let's, let's go, go through the, the the next kind of season where we we finish seventh. But it's more about some of the personalities that came in around. We obviously Paul Furlong went. Carl started crying. We get that. But we also <laughs> brought in Kevin Miller, who again was another. You know, we sometimes you get players who stay for two years but just burn so brightly. Amazing. But as you mentioned earlier on. Craig Ramage. Now, there must be some stories relating to Mr. Ramage, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, there's hundreds, fellas, but I promise you now. This They're not, not fit for this podcast. <laughs> now, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing right about Rammer. He's just one of those blokes where he'll do anything for a laugh and the rest of the dressing room just loved him. But then it got to certain times of the night, you just had to pull him away and take him back to the hotel. Come on, it's time to go. It is time to go before the police come. It's one of those. So you're, gonna, you're just going to go too far in a minute, Rama. He was always on the edge. Very similar to the way that he played. He was, he was always on the edge. He wanted to be different, and he certainly was. But no, I can't. I, I, I'm not prepared to. Rama could read no. him off. Rama could read him off. But I'm not that's good enough for me. That, that's, on that's our next mission. <laughs> We'd love to speak to Craig then. But what about what about Kevin Miller? Because of course he was at Birmingham, but he was going through the same problem of you know, albeit nice relationship with Barry Fry, who turned around and told him you're too bloody good not to be playing. So he gets the move. How did he come in? Because he was from Cornwall originally, wasn't he? If I remember rightly, and so yeah, what, what kind of personality was he in the dressing room? Really, really quiet, Kev. But it's strange. He, he was he had the driest sense of humour in in a really strange accent in football. You don't hear too many people for that. Right, boy lover. Yeah. It was Would you it, clear I, the fucking ball? It was it, he's the he's the, the one and only grumble with that I've ever played with. You know, uh, but, oh. but I've got to say, I've got to say with Kev, he was the even as a look back throughout my career. I never played with a goalkeeper that kicked a ball as well as Kevin Miller. And if you think about the way, the style that we played, you know, Ben Foster was brilliant when I played with him at Stoke. He was only a young kid, great left foot. Um, But Kev suited me. And I think because Kev would always kick it to my side and I like to come in and jump, lead lead him with my left leg and shoulder, some would say elbow, (laughs) it worked for us. You know, I'd always pull out to the right-hand side and Kev would find me. Um, you know, Ben was probably the most accurate goalkeeper that I've ever played with, but Kev was just consistent. He was like Rory McIlroy with a 7-8. It was just, you know, it knew exactly where it was going to go. Um, and he was just, he was a great bloke. Loved the night out. He was, I think he was, he was, he was single at the time, so he probably led a life that he shouldn't have led. <laughs> <laughs> but then, when you when you see him now, you, you, we just laugh about some of the situations that that he got in. Football is back, and BetMGM is inviting new customers to join the huddle and enjoy the action like never before. Sign up today using bonus code Champion, and your first wager is risk free up to one thousand dollars. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Twenty-one years of age or older to wager. Virginia only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call one eight 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 five three two thirty five hundred. Um, and then the stories that he told in the dressing room. Honestly, it was the lads were waiting for Kev 
to come in on a Monday morning to find out what he'd been up to. What he'd been up to. <laughs> Where's he been this weekend? <laughs> yeah. All of us, all of, all of us that were married with kids and we were just like, be waiting for Kev to come in. Please tell us what we're missing out on. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's it like out there in the in the big wide world? Yeah. Yeah. This, no, this um this podcast was nearly called Kevin Miller's Trousers. Close. It was close. Right? Yeah. It was very close. Yeah. Yeah, because it I just remember him being one like for a shot stopper, just used to used to think, how has he got there? He he was a natural shot stopper as well. I know you just mentioned obviously he's kicking there, but he yeah. was he was a quality keeper and Watford over the years have been blessed with with, with some great goal. We've also been blessed with some not so good goalkeepers, but yeah. gen- generally speaking, we've actually we've been really blessed with him. And, and Kevin's up there for me, really is. Absolutely. I, I think he, I, I'm not sure how long he stayed. I don't think it was too much, but I think he got player of the season twice. Yeah, two seasons. Yeah. And he two got seasons, back on, yeah. He was he was just outstanding for the for the vast majority of his time there. And I, I actually think. Did he get a he got a decent move to, to Palace after? To Palace, Palace yes, yeah. yeah. A million, million, something like that. Yeah. So, it. you know, he he'd done brilliant for us, but he was his his rise was quite quick. Um, but fully deserved again, like first, fully deserved the move. And like we were I said sometimes you don't realise what you've got until it's gone. Mm. Yeah, and that's when true. I, when I talk about from a dressing room, we we took we took and do take certain players for granted. And then when they've gone, you think, do you know what? I never realised how good he was. Yeah. Especially when suddenly you've got two goalkeepers, both called Perry. Kind of an odd moment that was, I have to say. Um, yeah. Especially after Kevin Miller. <laughs> but again, those two, Perry, Perry Digweed and Perry Suckling, absolute lunatics for very, very... <laughs> it's a goalkeeping thing, must be. It is. It's a goalkeeping trait. But you say that, Alec Chamberlain never fit into that union. Alec's like the nicest bloke you'll ever meet. <laughs> <laughs> but the rest of them, absolute nutcases. <laughs> loving this, loving this. Okay, so uh, one last player, just to, you know, you as a striker. Um, if I remember, I think, rightly, I think it was Nigel Callahan went and trained with Bulldog Town and had this young lad who looked pretty reasonable and brought him in and I kind of signed for about 10 grand or something. What was it like when you when you saw, bearing in mind, especially what you've been doing post-playing in terms of going and looking at players and looking at talent, when you look at the the embryonic side of Kevin Phillips when he first came into Watford, what were your thoughts in the on the training ground? Uh, it was strange, really, because I think we played them, and this is, you know, another one of Glenn's subtleties. I think we played them in pre-season, and it was a way to see Kev, so... He played, I think he played against us, did really well. And then he came in for a couple of days training and, and was, was to say he'd never been in full-time football since he left Southampton as a kid. Yeah. He was just so comfortable, so calm, collected. And for a little fella, he was a strong lad. Even then, when he first came, obviously he went on to massive, huge things after he left Watford. But yeah, when he came in, he was just calm. The calmest probably the calmest person in the dressing room. And that is essentially why he scored so many goals as he did, because he was so calm on and off the pitch. You know, he's one of those, you, you very rarely, I mean, I've, I've played golf with him since and I've seen him get, get annoyed with himself on the golf course, but I don't think I ever did on the football pitch. <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those. It's not like, uh, he's not, he wasn't a shouter and a screamer. If you didn't give him the ball, he might tut. He certainly wouldn't throw his arms around. Um, <laughs> But, you know, an awful lot of very knowledgeable people seem 
good things in Kev. And obviously going to Sunderland and playing with Big Nile was brilliant for him and his career. Yeah. Um, yeah. And until we eventually got up there and played him in the Premier League and he scored a couple of goals against us, I was really happy for him. Not not that late in particular, but yeah, he was just a great bloke and he was always going to go. I, I remember we had a conversation because I think Ipswich were the other offer. Yeah, um, and he, he he pulled me one morning and just he was asking about the North East. And I, so I'm not taking any credit for it because they paid him more money than Ipswich were going to pay him. But I knew Sunderland would be great for him because the Mackins were would love the way that he his style of play the way he's so unassuming and you could see it hitting off you know I mean we had us we had it for a really small time I went for the first ball he got the bit he got the second ball and and now Quinn was a far bigger and better player than I was so you know it's not a coincidence that their relationship went on and flourished and bloomed into Kev eventually playing for his country Mm. yeah um, I mean they've become the quintessential tall and little guy you know, kind of one playing off each other. Um, one question, and then and then we'll kind of get to some some some, some points which is kind of interesting. Obviously, we mentioned that a lot of people got moves a lot, and, and it had to happen for the for the club financially. But how frustrating was that as a player to think we're kind of moving forward, but he's having to move? Or are you at that point thinking, well, I'm next, I'm the next cab up on the rank, maybe to get my move? How how does that feel at that particular point? Um, no, because I think. As that came along, I was becoming, I was probably mid to late 20s. Yeah. You understand the game at that age. So you understand the process and the way that it works. And I was, even though we'd had, you know, a relegation, I was still loving it. I, I was just loving my football. You know, I was playing every week. Um, everything was going well, apart from we weren't getting the results. You know, I, I, we had a great life. We just we just didn't have enough. Whether we'd sold our best players, or whether the ones that were there we weren't working hard enough or gelling well enough to stay in the championship. And then if, obviously the first season in League One equivalent, we we didn't do well enough to get back into the championship. But I was I was still really enjoying my football. So it was it never it was never a question for me. I was never one jealous of another player earning more money. You know, I, I've always said, well, you sign your contract. If you're not happy with it, don't sign it. You know, it's one of those. I, I, I genuinely, and same when, when people talk about the money that's in today's game, mm. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't give a shit. Mm. You know, I had a great time. I got the best out of what I had. So the, the financial side of it genuinely bears no significance to the way that I look back on my career. I had a brilliant time and, 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 and reap the rewards. Fabulous. You mentioned there, we went down, we didn't quite get back up. Kenny Jacket had taken over that that season in the first one. But of course, we'd had that <sighs> attempted, but unfortunately too late um, effort when, when GT came back in and we had games like uh, Grimsby and Reading and a whole host of games where we were just scoring for fun and really kind of, really gave it a good go. We, we went down, we didn't come back up, but then GT comes in and takes takes over the you know, day-to-day management again, signs the aforementioned Jason Lee, plus people like Micah Hyde came in, who we mentioned. And I think, was John O starting to push on then? I think he probably was in and around that, that yeah. start of that season. How do you kind of... Re- did, did that feel like there was a change when GT came back in and started taking the reins? Well, I mean, the gaffer had been... I think his official term was general manager yeah. at, that, at that time, which would now translate into director of football in the modern game. Mm. Yeah. He was probably one of the very first to do it. 
which doesn't surprise anybody that knows the gaffer. You know, he was the first to do most things. Um, it, it, so he was, he was there. If you had an issue, you went and spoke to the gaffer. You didn't speak to Kenny uh, about it unless it was football related. Okay. Um, and he was heavily influenced in the way things transpired. Let's put it that way. It was his players. He did the deals. He did everything else. We just didn't have enough under that season with Kenny. And Kenny went on to become an outstanding coach and still is. Um, and had, has had a very successful mm. aerial career. Um, so there was no issues with, with Kenny. Kenny was brilliant. The gaffer was brilliant. We just didn't do it. It was one of those, like I mentioned earlier on, you know, sometimes you just can't put your finger on why you don't succeed. It's like in every walk of life, isn't it? You just, yeah. something's missing, but I don't know what it is. Mm. And we didn't have that answer in the first season. In the second season, you know, we signed Big Jace, really good mate of mine. We'd been together at Southend. He, he actually he moved in with me four days a week, um, <laughs> which is great because he's a cleaning freak and he bought his own. Every time we travelled away, he'd have his own bag of Jif and a cleaning products. And he'd clean <laughs> I mean, we were staying in five-star hotels, but he still didn't trust the cleaners. He'd clean everything. <laughs> he was brilliant for me because I'm a little bit uh, of a neat freak. So, yeah, Jace came in, several other players. And in that second year, I suppose you could say, I could blame Jace. For me playing at centre half, ah. <laughs> you know well, that, that that is that is one of the definitely the 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 punters' questions have, have certainly been in relation to that, haven't they, Carl? Yeah, 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 yeah. We have got um, some questions on that, so we'll come to that. We'll come to that. Yeah, we 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 like to get that, but it'd be nice to let you know who kind of wants to know exactly kind of what about that. But you kind of shift into it. It was a back three, if I remember rightly, and we also brought in a certain Mister Ronnie Rosenthal as well, um, who was. Who again gave us some, something else in terms of that season? What, what are your kind of main memories of, of of that? What ended up being the championship winning season from from either position or from 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 key games? Because uh, there's one I definitely want to ask you about. I suppose it was. I mean, the way it manifested. I, I mean, I can't talk about that season without playing at centre half because I yeah, yeah, no, played no, half a dozen games. But the way that it came about was the last game of the previous season. We played a testimonial against Arsenal. Arsenal, Nigel Winterburns. For yeah, for it was a testimonial game for Les Phillips. Was that the one? Les no, 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 yeah, no yeah. for the groundsman. For the groundsman. Gr yeah, yeah, yeah. An Elka yeah, yeah. An Elka, well, yeah. Yeah. Stealing my thunder a little bit. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm always in danger of stealing Tommy Mooney's thunder. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I, the irony in mentioning mentioning him, but we've got to half time, and I was playing up front. Got to half time in this game. Bear in mind, it's testimonial. It's a week after the season's finished. Yeah. Got to half time. Uh, I don't remember what the score was. It's irrelevant. It's a testimonial. Although probably not to the gaffer for obvious reasons. You know, we he, he wouldn't be happy losing any game. And at half time, we're all sat round talking about how good Arsenal were. And he's named the team for the second half. And he said um, three centre halves, Mooney on the left. And I, I think I might have been fastening my laces or something like that at the time. And I just looked on and I thought, did I really hear that? What? What? He said, yeah, I just want you to... And he was so cool and calm and collected. It was like it happened every week for 10 weeks before. And he just went, play on that left-hand side. I just want to have a look at something. And like, if the gaffer tells you to do something, you don't answer back. That's a ridiculous, <laughs> foolish thing to do. Yeah. And I just thought, okay. And then I could, it was almost like the lads in the dressing room were sniggering. <laughs> I was like, 
is somebody is somebody taking the piss here? Because we've not discussed it. That nothing had happened. We've not dis. I've not even spoken privately with the manager. No, so hold on. This is a testimonial. You must be convinced that this is a dressing room prank that they're all playing on you. I I, I thought somebody's taking a piss here, but the fact that the gaffer is in on it makes it even worse. Yeah, it's gone full. It's gone full hole here. Like, what's what's happening? I've actually, I've actually stood up as everybody else, and everybody else is looking at me in the dressing room. And I've walked over to the gaffer and said, "You serious?" And he said, "Yeah, I just wanted." And he was stone faced, no smile on his face, nothing. And he just started pointing as the, you can imagine, seeing him on the touchlines, how he points to areas of the pitch. He's doing that to me in the dressing room. <laughs> And I just want you to do this and I want you to get it on your left foot. When you do that, when you're in this position, hit that player. Now, defensively, you might struggle at first. <laughs> really? You might struggle at first. And I was like, no shit, Gaffer. Dear me. I've never, I, not even in, in the playground did I play at the back. I'm a goal, I want to score goals. And, and also, at the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I'm on a goal bonus. How am I going to score uh. from centre-half? <laughs> So anyway, we go out at half time. All of the lads have realised it's not a joke. I'm playing as a centre half, and they brought on a Nelka at half time. I'm not kidding you. Two minutes into the game, he gave me a race over ten yards. He gave me five yards start and beat me by two yards. <laughs> I thought there was a Ferrari going past me, and it was going to ruin the pitch. And I just thought, oh god, this is, this is the last time I play centre half. And I'm, no word of a lie. It was never mentioned. Nothing tactically came off the pitch, played 45 minutes, did all right when Anelka came nowhere near me. <laughs> Won a few headers, started to organise a little bit, started to feel a little bit comfortable and then the game ends. Nothing was mentioned again until pre-season. So I went away that summer thinking, yeah, it was a little, it was a little test. I proved that he got it wrong <laughs> and I'll be back up front next year. <laughs> little did I know that I'd, that I'd play like... 30 games or something last that season at centre half. Walking off going, it was, well, I, I think I proved still, my point. Yeah. Proving my point there. I'm still I'm still sat here now as I tell that story, shaking my head, thinking, what was he thinking? <laughs> but it got me in the team. I just wanted to play football. You know, if the gaffer told you to do something, you did it. Simple as that. I'm sure everybody that comes on here and speaks to you guys will tell you exactly the same. Yeah. You don't answer the gaffer back, you don't raise your voice to him. And if if he tells you off, you say thank you, Gaffer. Yeah, we we've been fortunate enough to speak to, to you know people from the first duty sort of era, right? You know, right, right, pretty much right to the to, to the end, and they all say the same thing. Um, yeah, obviously an incredible man, and, and what he means to the club and us supporters, and, and I'm sure you players as well. Just just goes without saying, really. Yeah, I, you know, I, I touched on it earlier on. He was the he was the first manager coach. He wasn't a head coach. He wasn't. He wasn't even a coach. He was a manager, mm. and he managed every department of every football club that he worked with. Mm. He managed compartments of players' lives. He helped with everything. He knew everybody's parents' names. He knew everybody's wife's name. Some wife and girlfriend's name. <laughs> names. He knew. He knew everything. He was just, you know, and he had a encyclopedic knowledge of everything to do with footballers and what footballers need you know I mean we used to have meetings about meetings now everybody has an analyst 
department, not just one analyst. We used to watch videos and videos. Bear in mind then, there were tapes. Tapes, yeah. There was no clips. You had to fast forward and rewind if you wanted something else. <laughs> and we'd have, we'd have hours and hours of meetings. And now stats are very, it, it's almost accepted that people are going to listen to statistics because they're facts. Mm. What, what it must must be what 25 years ago the gaffer was so into his stats he used to emphasize to all of the, the strikers you had to have at least eight shots on target to earn a goal that was his ratio between eight and 12 shots on target you earn a goal wow now you know it, it's it's almost a given but then you're talking late 90s mm. but to, for him to have those statistics and they'll still be exactly the same today. The fact that everybody knows them today. Mm. We, were the, we were the first, well, Arsenal next door, because when Wenger came in, he was very similar. Tom Wally was the link between the gaffer and Arsene Wenger, who were very, very close. So they, they, were, they were miles ahead of the game. When everybody else was still you know, thinking you have to have pasta and go out and have a few beers after a game. Mm. We weren't doing that. And the, the season that we got, we got promoted. Yes, we, we'd have a Tuesday club and we'd go out for a few beers on a Tuesday night because we had a Wednesday off. Not any other day of the week would we do that because training was too hard. He couldn't mm. do it. You know, so I had mates that were playing all over the country that had be coming in from nightclubs and going straight to training. You couldn't do that at Watford. Mm. You know, you'd be sent straight back home and you'd never play again. Yeah. You know, yes. he was just he, he was just a genius, the fellow. So a quick question about that season. When I'm presuming from memory you either at this moment or whenever you weren't playing at the back, the Merwell's mural that's been made. We're, we're fortunate enough to, to know the guys from, from Merwell's very well. They're in, they're, they're in our Hall of Fame. Yeah, There's some drew, dodgy signature on that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah we drew pictures of them. Go, go figure, we drew pictures of them. <laughs> anyway, Merwell, love it. But the, the subway of legends now, and let's face it, you have a rather impressive picture down there one was that from the bristol rovers goal that you scored well, for the 3-2 win and, and secondly how shitting yourself were you when you went to oh, sign that thing yeah. honestly i was that, that was as nervous as i was at st andrew's taking that penalty <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, but what am i gonna I, I know that mark had said to me you know we can just if you mess it up but i said to him i've never signed my autograph as big as that i said yeah, i can't yeah. do a tiny one it's gonna look shit <laughs> So he said, no, do it. He said, do it about this size. And he pointed. I'm like, I'm not sure there's enough ink in the pen to do it that big. <laughs> and it's like doing it at above your head height. It's not natural. No, no. I was I, I was, I was frightened to death that I was going to mess it up because I think it looks amazing. And, it, well, you guys know, it's my WhatsApp picture. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm incredibly, incredibly proud and, and honoured that they did that uh, of me. So... I think it's it's a brilliant thing, and they're super super talented guys. Yeah, they are. He says he says hello. By the way, I spoke to him today. Said we're talking to Tommy later, so I'll make sure you say hello. So there you go. I've done it. I've seen the guy. I've seen him at the Elton concert a couple of weeks ago. They were great. We're on good form. It's amazing how how much they love Watford for West Ham fans, isn't it? It Yeah, actually, yeah, (laughs) it is. It's funny that I said to Mark, you go to more games than I do. Yeah, so was that was that the Bristol Rovers goal then that that has been? Well, I I thought that I thought it was that one. Somebody gave them uh, at the club gave them the, the the still of it, and they they were of the opinion that it's not that particular game. 
but I'm still saying it is. I'm saying it has to be. Exact. If you ask me one goal of that season, I don't know how many I've got, because obviously I was playing at centre-half, and then yeah. if, we, if we needed to get a goal at the end of the game, the gaffer threw me forward, and every now and again I managed to get a goal. Um, the Bristol Rovers one is is one that I certainly I remember like it was yesterday. I could still, if I wait here long enough, I can still feel the advertising boardings coming down and cutting the shit. Yep. Because I, 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 I know you started it off with the old Benny Hill salute. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't remember the rest because I was probably being thrown on somebody at the rest of the time of that. But it was, oh, what a moment. What a game that, that was. Alone. Yeah, it's a great game, that, actually. Yes. It was. That, and, and I've got to be honest, and I'll remind you, I know you, you'll know of it, but I gave a penalty away in the first half. Yes. So I felt like I owed everybody one. Yes. So, and that's sometimes that, that made me better. I always, if I owe somebody a favour, I make sure it's paid back. So, you know, I, I felt I almost vindicated myself by getting that, that goal at the end of the game. Hence why I was so stubborn and the fact that I didn't want a penalty because I wasn't on pens. So there's no way I was staying down and asking for a penalty. I might as well just keep running and smash it. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I thought about it. If I'd been on pens, I might have gone down. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're calculating that goal bonus even at centre back. I'm liking this. That's very yeah. good. We 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 go away towards the end of the season to Bristol City, and we get a one-all draw, if I remember rightly, which confirms promotion. The, 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 the promotion that we've got there. And of course, the last game of the season, we're at Fulham. If I remember rightly, I think Bristol City. Uh, Bristol City. I think we're at Preston. Uh, why I remember this, I have no idea. When I was going to say, I, I, have trouble I, have with. No, I have no idea, and I played in the game. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it was Ke- it was Kevin Keegan's Fulham. They had Peter Beardsley on the Beardsley. pitch. Who, if I remember rightly, pulled out a bit of a corker of a, a corker of a goal. What are your memories of that? Because that that was a hell of a day, a hell of a game, and and a, and a hell of a celebration at the end. Incredible. I don't think because that was my first dip- promotion. And I'm I'm incredibly proud of of what we achieved. Yeah. Promotions and goals. Now I'm I'm done and old. I look back <laughs> on those. I don't look back on anything else and think about you know the experiences, you know the things that we've earned. The most important things are winning, promotions and goals. That's what I'm incredibly proud of. And that was my first promotion. When I was really fortunate enough to get a couple more. But that was my first one. And I genuinely can, can tell you that before the game, I didn't appreciate it. I didn't realise what we had the opportunity to do because it was my first time, I think. Afterwards, I was incredibly hungry for more. But because it was my first time, I just, I just thought, yeah, we're promoted. We've done, we've done what we are set out to do. But as the game went on and you realised we could actually be champions, and this is where, this is where the gaffer was amazing. At, at half time, he, he gave a speech that I'm sure other people have, will have told you about, but gave a speech about nobody remembers second place. People only re- remember first place. Do you want to work a little bit harder and go and win the championship? Or do you want to sit happy with your runners up medal around your neck? And it made us all sit back and think, do you know what? I never, I never really realised that. And it was just, listen, he's had plenty of moments of genius with the gaffer, but that was the one of the biggest turning points, I think, in that game was the words that he said mm. at halftime. Because then we went out and it was almost like sometimes you get tense when there's more on it, but we became more... Relaxed and loose. Free, yeah, yeah mm. free free to move, free to do what you wanted, whereas we'd almost steered in a shape because we didn't want to lose the game. And we were a little bit scared in the first half. 
And you had, you say, Beardsley, Bracewell. Uh, I think Lee, Lee Clark might have been in the team. Yes, as well. yeah, he'd have been around there. They had, they had some top Good players. Good um, And we had Big Jace and, I think, Gifton up front. Gifton, yeah. 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 He got the first, didn't he? Yeah. And, you know, we just took the game to them. And then for that, at the end of the game, to then be really strange. I've never... Uh, my other promotions were playoffs, as you know. Yeah. Um, never experienced that noise in the crowd, crowd on the pitch. Have we done it? Have we not? Because you're almost setting yourself up to say, well... If we haven't won it, it's fine. We've got promoted. That's that's what we all want. And then when we realised that we were the champions, it was ju- we just took turns in trying to control Robbo. That was basically... <laughs> Good luck. So, yeah, for, the next, for the next hour, we probably just tried to keep Robbo in a headlock as much as we could. <laughs> he was a hand grenade waiting to go off as a young kid who was so... His vibrancy and his enthusiasm was just ridiculous. Yeah, it was a but, chaos grenade. Love it. Uh, yeah. Got back into the changing room. I'm not sure whether we should say it because it's, it's a listed building. But we had cigars in the dressing room. I hate cigars. I don't even like. I can't even stand the smell of them. I had a glass of champagne, which I'm not over keen on. A glass of champagne and a cigar, and I thought, I thought, you know what? We're champions. I, I should probably have these. I don't really yourself. like them. <laughs> Really like either of them, but I've deserved it. Yeah, I've got to say on the on the parade bus um, after that, there was a very very beaming face on top of that bus, and it was yours. You were smiling big time as as it came around the flag and Firkin as it was at the time. I just remember there was a massive beaming face, and it was yours. You just looked really pleased with it all. Yeah, the, the open top bus was unbelievable. Obviously, again, my first experience of yeah. it. Little did I know. It'd be bigger and better a year later. Well, yeah. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, it was in- incredible. I'd never experienced anything like that. As you come around that corner, because we'd started the open top bus and there was like a handful of people yeah. either side of the bus and we're thinking, oh God, this is a bit, <laughs> this is a bit <laughs> awkward. <laughs> and it just got more and more people. And then as we came into, you know, into the high street, it was just, it was like the Beatles had loved it. Yeah. 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 It was ridiculous, ridiculous, and then it just got it just got better and better. Uh, incredible, in- incredible scenes, and you know I'm sure every one of the boys will tell you it's yeah. it's but it's it's emotional when you, you you look back at it and think about it because what I was experiencing there for the first time as exactly the same as as my feelings at Craven Cottage when I knew that I was getting a winners medal. That open top bus is is in- incredibly similar feeling. It was mm. just I I always think. And I talk about that when about scoring goals. When you score a goal, it's not there's no real pleasure in it. It's relief because I put myself under so much pressure mm. to do my play my part in the team. I always thought scoring the goals was my responsibility. So when I scored a goal, it was relief I felt. Yeah. And mm. then and then you know the enthusiasm and the the excitement takes over. But initially. I, I can promise you, every one of the goals that I scored, particularly later on in, in my career, uh, there'd be a sigh of relief before I put the hand in the air or do the salute or or whatever it would do. It would always be a, a deep exhale because it's a sigh of relief. And winning my first medal was a huge sigh of relief. Mm. But the really good thing was, of course, I imagine after winning promotion and having a cigar and champagne, I imagine Jason Lee must have gone home to your gap and absolutely polished it up to within an inch of his life. I mean, <laughs> I think by that time he was travelling from Nottingham because he'd taken all the enamel 
off my kitchen. <laughs> There's nothing else to come off, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was just, I mean, his, his cleanliness standards took it to a new level. How he, how he hasn't had his own TV show about cleanliness, I, I will never know. The cleanest man you'll ever meet. S- silly question on this season, and then then, then let's get on to uh, another fabulous year. But with with Jason Lee, just as a, on a, on a personal note, he'd gone through the ringer publicly at Forest, obviously with all of the kind of fantasy football stuff, and you know, and yes, we all laughed at it. But he, as an individual, had to go through that. And you knew him at South End beforehand when he came in. Was that season with us? cathartic was it good for him as, as, a, as an individual because you want players when they come into Watford to move on and have good memories of the club and he he was only there for a season because he wasn't prepared to locate I think from from Nottingham in the end but was that good for him overall it was brilliant and the guy but the gaffer knew that and that's how he would have sold it to Jason I'm sure I uh, wouldn't want to put words in in big Jason's mouth but I would be almost certain that that's how the gaffer sold it to him you need to come to us and it takes away all of that because I won't allow this and I won't allow that. Yeah. Because he, he he managed every situation, like I said to you, on and off the pitch. And Jace came in. I mean, he's still based in Nottingham. That's his family home with his his family. All of the kids are, are based out of Nottingham. So he's never moved. He was never going to do that. But obviously the fact that he could come and stay with me a couple of nights a week. And I, I used to travel up to Forest games and watch them. I mean, he, play, he, he played European football mm. for Nottingham Forest, mm. Jace, when he went there. Mm. Again, they, they took him there. He went, it was the second time he replaced Dan Collymore. You know, it, was, it, it followed him around a little bit, Jace. He was just, he was extremely good at what he did. He got yeah. an awful lot of stick, which was silly in my in my view. But then, you know, I didn't even have fringe, let alone a pineapple. So it's not like I, could, <laughs> I can say anything about Jace's barnet, is it? It was and it's the last thing you're going to say when you're eye to eye with Jace, and very, you'd, I'd have to be on a chair to be eye to eye with Jace. You never mentioned his barnet. That was one of the things you'd never, never mention. So, oh, pre- you know, presumably in the hotel when you go up to the buffet, do you want some fruit? You, you, you stay very clear of one item. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Cool. In fact, the gaffer's that clever. He removed it from. He the removed buffet. it. He weren't there. What oh, a man. Super. What a man. Uh, just to just to top off this, uh, there was one game in that season. When you know we we spent we mentioned Elton John earlier on, he played at the funeral of Princess Diana, and the following day came to the obviously because all the fixtures got moved back a day was us versus Wickham, and you know Elton was there because he just wanted to I think it was just have a, a just get back to normality because obviously even for Elton that's a that's a that, that's a cluster to deal with, yeah. and he pulled out of the bag an absolute worldie to win it two one. So I mean, if anybody hasn't seen it, please go and go go and Google that because it was a monster of a shot at the at the time and uh, and a wonderful moment. I hope for Elton as well. Yeah, we are. I mean, we all we all know what the club means to Elton. And at that time, because he was so close with the gaffer, he, he'd be visiting certainly match days, but also you know the training ground whenever he could. He'd he'd, he'd come to see the boys and and have a, have a joke. It was I think he he loved that. I suppose the camaraderie in the dressing room because we were a good set of lads. He enjoyed that because it's so different to his life. Mm. And because the gaffer was there and the gaffer had always, the gaffer would never leave Elton in the dressing room without the gaffer being there because, you know, some some players can go a little bit overboard. You're not sure how people are going to take it, but the two of them, I think they both said it, you know, they they were like brothers. They were very, very close and we understood that. And we were very, very lucky to 
to experience their combination that helped us in many, many ways at that time. Yeah. I remember one of the concerts, actually. Uh, he's, he pulled you out, or he, he mentioned you. There's one of the concerts... <laughs> That's my claim to fame. Yeah. He said, I can see you, Thomas Mooney. Did you have a hat on? He had a, I think he had a cap on or something, or a very sharp suit, because he walked past me. Oh. And I thought, oh, that's Tommy Mooney. And then Elton John said something during the concert and sort of called you out, that I think. Still to this day, that's my claim to fame. <laughs> that's quality. I'm I also just... noticed that, that Merbles didn't make Elton sign his own his own mural, did they? No, no, I no, know. they did that for him. <laughs> Preferential treatment. I'll be having words. Elton was really kind. He invited, I think he invited about 10 of us um, to the dressing room um, before his concert. And I was, I was living in Spain at the time. I'd retired. So um, flew back and met Elton in the dressing room. And he's, you know, he, he's in the home team dressing room. It was unrecognisable. It was like changing rooms had been in and there was like 100 grand's worth of, of plants and shrubs and flowers. <laughs> in. It, it looked amazing. I never recognised it. So uh, nobody went, wanted to go in So because everybody's nervous meeting Elton. It's normal. He's a legend. So I just said, all right, I'll go. So I went straight in. He gave me a big hug and I just said to him, Mr. Chairman, I love what you've done the place. I, I, I wouldn't recognise <laughs> it. He was laughing and joking and he said yeah, he, he, liked, he liked my suit. And it actually wasn't a suit. I had a, a, a jacket and jeans on, right. but it looked like a suit. They were both navy blue. Right. And then during one of his songs, it started to rain, and he he stopped one of the songs and said, "Can somebody get Tommy Mooney a poncho?" That was so it. He doesn't ruin his suit. That was it. Which, is, which it, to this day, I'm glad you mentioned it because it is my claim to fame. Podcast Network. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around, you've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? <whistles> At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery free in terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.